First of all, I want to thank Debbie for stepping up today, Kathy being sick. It's always a blessing to have people that will just step up short, short notice and just do what needs to be done. So before we get started, I want to talk about the election that's going on right now. I'm not going to tell anybody who to vote for or whether to vote Republican or Democrat, but I'm just saying that we as Christians, we have a voice, and this is our time to use it. We got a early election going on right now, and then the actual election day is the 8th, I believe, 7th or 8th, next Tuesday. So please get out and vote and use your voice. We want to make a difference in this world. It's going to take us getting up and doing something. So please stand for the reading of the word. It's going to be uh, Romans 8, the entire chapter. <laughs> so now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, or those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you. And the power of sin that leads to death, from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies of sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that pleases the spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile towards God. It did not obey God's law, and it, will, it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of the sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by the sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, your spirit gives you life. Because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to the mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For, you will live, for if you live by his dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So if you have not received a spirit that makes you fear, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when you were adopted as His own children. Now you can call Him Abba Father, for His Spirit joins with our spirits to affirm we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are heirs. In fact, together with Christ. We are heirs in God's glory, but we are to share his glory. We must also share his sufferings. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and, death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning in the pains of the childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of the future glory, 
For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us full rights of his adopted children, including the new bodies as he has promised us. We are given this hope when we are saved. If we already have something, we don't need hope for it. But we look forward to something we don't have. We must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows that the, what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for, for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and for those according to his, called according to his purpose. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he, he called, the, called them to come to him, and having called them, he gave them right standing with him. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standings with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Jesus Christ died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from God's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? or persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death. As the scripture says, for your sake, we are killed every day. We will be slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Shall we pray? My Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you just for the freedom to be able to come and just uh, gather together and worship you. Father, I pray that as, as I give this message, Father, that you'll just remove me from the situation and just let your words flow through me. Father, I love you and I praise you. And I give you all the glory. I just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So last week I was talking to this local business owner that I just met. And this person asked me how long we'd been in Quanta and what brought us here. And I told him that we just moved over here and that I was given the opportunity to be the preacher at the, at the church here. So during our conversation, this person told me that they love God but... See, I've never heard anything come from, I love God, but, but. Anyways, this person went on to tell me that, I'm going to paraphrase because I don't want to use the language they used, that they love God, but they like to run their mouth and they don't care who's around. They told me that you ain't Jesus, and I ask God to forgive me for my sins every day. So that was really hard on me for several reasons. One, of course, as a business owner, you shouldn't talk like that to potential customers. I told my wife when I left, I'll never go back in there just because of that. Two, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, then your words and your actions should be the same. And number three, 
because people have such a twisted worldly, worldly view on what repentance means. So many people believe today that you can live the lifestyle that they want and God will just continue to forgive them for the same sins over and over. Although every Christian at some point will stumble and sin, they don't continue to live in that sin. They will not continue to live that same lifestyle and they'll remove themselves from the situations because the Holy Spirit convicts them of what they're doing. And if you don't feel any conviction for what you're doing, then you really need to do some soul searching to see if you truly accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the biggest issue is that people just don't understand what sin is anymore. As I said a couple of weeks ago, we've become desensitized to sin. The enemy has slowly put sin into our lives in such a way that it's become acceptable. Satan knows if he just dumps it all on us at once that we'll resist. But if he takes his time slowly over years and years, generations after generations, we've let sin creep into our homes, our families, and even our churches. So before we dig into Romans 8, let's discuss and discuss freedom from sin. We need to talk about what the Bible says are sins. In Mark 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus says, For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these things come from inside and to follow a person. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, Paul says the acts of flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, fractions, factions, not fractions. That's a math. That's kind of a sin too. And envy, drunkenness, Orgies and the like. I warn you, as I, did, as I did before, that those who live in this will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, Jesus mentions 13 different sins there. Paul mentions 15 different sins. And in the New Testament alone, there's over 100 sins that are mentioned. And we're not talking about the 613 rules of the Old Testament. We're talking about stuff that's going on in the New Testament. And not a single one of those sins is no longer a sin just because the world accepts it or just because it's become legally legal according to man-made laws. Jesus says that our sins will defile us, and Paul states that anyone that lives like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know any better way of putting it. Sin's going to destroy you and keep you from God. See, we were born through sin, born into sin through Adam, and the Bible says that we will all fall short of the glory of God. But we have a view these days that some sins are bigger than other sins. For example, if you murder somebody, you're going to go to prison. So we think that sin is bigger than just hating somebody. But in reality, all sins make us sinners and cut us off from God. So how do we receive freedom from sin? The Bible tells us there's only one way. That's by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. This chapter starts off saying that, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to, Jesus, to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. In other words, there is absolutely zero possibility of condemnation from God for anyone that believes and belongs to Christ. Because of what Jesus did, we are no longer counted guilty, and we will not be punished on the day of judgment. Jesus took the consequences for our sins 
and conquered death so that we could escape the punishment that we deserved. He has set us free from the power of sin that leads to our death. Our sinful nature will die, but we who are in Christ will have eternal life. You see, God doesn't want us to sin, and we should strive every day to be like Jesus. And Jesus was perfect, but we know that we're all going to slip from time to time. But we won't be condemned because of what Jesus did for us. In verse 3, it says, The law of Moses was unable to save because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies of sinners. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his, his son as a sacrifice for our sins. See, the Old Testament law showed just how serious sin was and that animals had to be sacrificed for the sins, that blood had to be shed. But the blood of animals was never good enough. It takes the blood of Jesus to truly cover and to forgive our sins. Verse 4 says, He did, he did, this, so that, he did this so that the ju- just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the Spirit. Jesus came to take away sin's power and control over us and to kill, and kill us. He came to give us life and forgiveness for our past and future sins. That doesn't give us as Christians an excuse to continue to sin. In verses 5 through 8, it says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God, and it never will. That those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. See, Paul isn't telling us, Paul's telling us that there's two different groups of people with two very different destinies. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature and those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's important to understand that these are not two different types of Christians he's talking about. But whether, but whether how non-Christians differ from true Christians. There's a popular but mistaken view when it comes to the Christian lifestyle. Many believe that there's two different paths for Christians. One path is the discipleship path. On this path, you give up everything to follow Christ. You deny yourself. You pick up your cross daily. You suffer hardship, sacrifice, and persecution. You give control of your maternal, maternal, material assets over to Christ. You may even be required to share the gospel in a foreign country where you may have to live in difficult and dangerous environments. But the rewards will be great when you get to heaven. This path is for the super committed. On the other path is the cultural Christian path. This path is for the more ordinary believers. In this path, you accept Jesus as your Savior so that you can go to heaven. But you also pursue your dreams of success and your own personal fulfillment in life. You get the best of both worlds. You can enjoy fellowship at a good evangelical church and pursue the American dream at the same time. You put some money in the offering plate every once in a while to pay your dues, and you volunteer at church when you can fit it into your schedule. You don't have to be too hard on yourself about the obedience of the Bible, because after all, we're only human, and God is gracious and forgiving. Just accept who you are, and don't think that you have to be all in for Jesus. That's for those on the discipleship path. But Jesus, Jesus made it very clear that there's only one path for Christians. In Mark 8, 34 through 38, it says, Then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. 
take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in, his, in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. See, Jesus is talking about eternal life and eternal condemnation. If you want eternal life, you must give up your own way. In Paul's language, he describes this person as those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit. The other path describes those who are dominated by sinful nature. There are only two groups when it comes to this world. Those who will have eternal life and those who will have eternal condemnation. Paul makes it very clear that being dominated by sinful nature has to do with the mindset or the way we think. Other translations say that living according to the flesh. So living by your sinful nature or living according to the flesh means that you live for temporal things that the world values instead of God and eternity. But on the other side, those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit or live according to the Spirit think about things that pleases God. These things are the truths that are revealed through His Word concerning who He is, who we are, the salvation that He has promised through Jesus, and how we should be His lot in an otherwise dark world. So the question we must ask ourselves is, do we truly belong to Christ? Verses 9 through 11 says, But you are not controlled by sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have made, you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give you life in your mortal bodies by the same living Spirit. Jesus says that you have to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. So if you're born again, the Spirit lives within you, and you belong to Christ. If the Spirit's in you, you will be drawn to Jesus and desire to know Him and honor Him. Last week we sang a song that says, uh, In all I do, I honor you. I want you to take a minute and just imagine how the world would be if Christians truly lived that. If all we did, we did it to honor God and not ourselves. And if that spirit is in you, even though you will perish, God will raise you up in the same way he raised Jesus. So having been born again doesn't mean that you're perfect now. There will always be a constant conflict between your flesh and the spirit. We need to be able to kill the sin that's in our lives. Verses 12 and 13 says, Therefore, dear brothers and children, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. See, the enemy is always going to try to keep you living the same lifestyle that you've always lived. He'll whisper these lies to you, telling you that it's okay because everyone else is doing it. And that the Bible was written a long time ago, so it doesn't apply today. And he'll even so much as give you good jobs. He'll give you nice cars, nice houses, money. He'll give you everything you want to keep you living in that same lifestyle. See, Paul, Paul doesn't say that if, if you do what you're, Paul doesn't say that if you do what your sinful nature urges you to do, that you will lose some of your heavenly rewards. He says you will die. That's eternal death. 
But if through the power of the Spirit we can kill those sinful deeds, we will have eternal life. Again, Paul's telling us that there's only two groups of people with two different destinies. So how do you know if you belong, what group you belong to? Verses 14 through 16 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. If the Spirit's living in you and you try to kill the sinful nature, then it's evidence that you are a child of God. And as a child of God, you're adopted into his family. And when you're adopted, your old life is completely wiped out. All your debts are canceled. You're considered a new person entering into a new life in which the past has nothing to do with. You're considered a legitimate child of the new family and will receive the same inheritance as the rest of his children. Verse 17 says, And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs in God's suffering, but if, in his glory. But if we share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. So last week we talked about suffering, which is part of the deal, and how our trials will strengthen us and purify us. So if Jesus, the firstborn of God, had to suffer before entering his glory, then why should we be exempt? But we need to remember that trials are only temporary, and our promise of inheritance into God's glory is eternal. Verses 18 through 25 says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against this will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks to this day when it, when it will join God's children in a glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We are given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. See, we've been subjected to God's curse ever since Adam and Eve fell into temptation and sin. See, death wasn't part of the original creation. After God finished the creation, he called it good. But death was instead was a result of God's curse on man's sin. And now we wait for the day of Christ's return so that we can be free from it. Ever since the fall, our history has been plagued with wars, natural disasters, power struggles, crimes, plagues, all kinds of other things. But we as believers, we've been given a glimpse of our inheritance through the Holy Spirit. And that gives us hope that one day we will receive the full promises of our Father. There will be times in our lives that we'll go through trials that just seem like they're too much for us to handle. But when we do, we can stand on the promises of verses 26 and 27. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father also knows our, all hearts. 
what the Spirit is saying, and the Spirit pleads for us as believers in harmony with God's own will. I told you all last, a couple weeks ago that my family was attacked, and I just didn't know what to say. My heart was broken. I was in pain. I had a lot of anger. And I knew that I needed God to get through it, but I just didn't know what to say. So I went down to the prayer room, and I just got on my knees, and I closed my eyes, and I just sat there in silence, just believing that the Holy Spirit was talking for me. And eventually, God gave me a verse and a message to help me get through it. And through it, it kind of feels like my prayer life has been strengthened. So even though sometimes we'll go through heartbreaking times that are painful, Paul says in verse 28 through 30, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called, called them to come to himself, and having called them, he gave himself the right standing for, with himself. He gave them the right standing with himself. And having given them the right standing, he gave them his glory. So I want you to notice two things about that. First, this is not a promise to everyone. This is a promise to those who love God and are called by him. Second, for the ones who love God, it doesn't say a few things or some things or most things. It says all things will work together for our good. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter how you're feeling right now. It doesn't matter that you can't see any way that this situation could ever work out for its good. It says God will work all things out for the good for those who love him. Why? Because he loved us at the beginning of creation. In Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. See, his plan has always been for us to spend eternity with him. He knew from the beginning that we would need a savior. And he sent his son so that we could have salvation that we could become like Christ and glorify our Father in heaven. So this is where it gets really good. Verses 31 through 34 says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? For God, for, if God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, won't he also give, everything, give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised, raised to life for us, and he is sitting in a place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. See, the enemy is always going to be whispering in our ears that there's no way God's going to forgive you for all the stuff you've done, that you're not worthy of being loved by God, and that if God loved you, he would never let bad things happen to you. But remember that God sent his son to die for you, I see I love all you people in here, but if y'all's salvation depends on me letting one of my kids die for y'all, man, I'm sorry it ain't going to happen, but God sent his son to die for us so that we could spend eternity with him, and while the enemy is standing there bringing up everything you've done, Jesus is standing there pleading our case for us because he has already taken the punishment for our sins and we are forgiving. And these last verses contain one of the most comforting promises in, in Scripture. Verses 35 through 39. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or even persecuted 
or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death. As the scripture says, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. Or other translations will say we are more than, we are, what does it say? More than conquerors through Christ Jesus. And I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. Once you become a born-again Christian and you're adopted into, the, into our Father's in Heaven's family, our past is wiped clean. And whatever trials we're going through, or we'll go through in our future, nothing can separate us from God's love. And nothing can separate us from the victory that we received on the cross. There's absolutely nothing that will keep God from loving us. Not even the powers of hell are strong enough to separate us from the love of God. I love Romans chapter 8. I was doing some studying on it and reading about it. And I... There was a guy that described it as if the Bible was a ring, Roman 8 would be the diamond. It's just a beautiful chapter. There's just so much promise and so much blessing in it. that. But we've also got to understand that you have to be all in. This isn't a halfway, lukewarm relationship with God. That God wants it all. You know, the enemy hates you. And the enemy is going to do whatever he can to get you to follow him, to get you to fall away from Christ. He'll use your friends, he'll use your family, he'll use music, he'll use TV shows, and he'll also use blessings. He'll give you everything that your heart desires to keep you away from God. But see, we have to be all in. We have to be willing to deny ourselves. We have to be willing to give up everything that we think we want and follow what Jesus says and follow what God says. So we've come to a time now and we're going to open up the altar. Debbie's going to play a song, I hope. <laughs> and uh, the altar will be open. If anybody wants prayer for anything, or if anybody wants to accept Jesus for the first time, or if anybody wants to become a member of this church. But I'm going to tell you, you don't have to come to the altar to be forgiven for your sins. You can sit right where you are and ask God to forgive you. It doesn't have to be a public spectacle where you come up here. And... So I just want you to search your hearts and search your souls. And if there's anything that you're carrying, any worldly things that you're carrying, I just ask you to give it over to God today. So we'll pray, and then Debbie will have a song, and the, song will, the altar will be open. So please rise. My Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity just to come together and just to share your message. Father, I thank you for all that you've done in my life and for what you're doing in this community, Father. We just pray that you'll just open our hearts and our minds to truly see you. And, Father, that we'll just truly live the lifestyle of all we do. We honor you, Father. I love you and I praise you. Ask your things in Jesus' name. Amen.